If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And friends, I have been looking forward to this conversation with Sam Threadgill all day long. We're going to be talking about donor cultivation, and I'm going to share a little bit about Sam so you can know why we're talking about donor cultivation. Sam is the Chief Development Officer at the Humane Society of Northeast Georgia, and she's had some marketing and sales positions before joining the Humane Society, but this, this was her first development job when she joined staff seven years ago. And let me just quick aside, seven years, that's more than twice the average tenure of most development directors. And honestly, I'm not surprised she's been there seven years because she is so phenomenally good at fundraising. I met her when Lexi and I were working uh, with them on their strategic planning project. And as part of that, we always ask for some donor and fundraising data. And I have to share with you, I took one look at Sam's fundraising data and was like, oh my gosh, she's incredible. Like, she is an amazing fundraiser. And one of the other things that we'll normally do is we'll normally make a contribution to the organization, in part because I really want to see what acknowledgments I'm going to get back. And the hands-down best acknowledgement series I have ever gotten, and I'm in my 50s, I have ever gotten is from the Humane Society. And so when I first started to get pieces from this donor series, I literally would bring them into workgroup meetings and brag and be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I've never seen anything this really good. And so after I was about halfway through the donor welcome series, I started to bug Sam. I was like, we got to get you on the podcast. And Sam's kind of a modest person. She kept saying, nah, you know, maybe later, maybe later, not right now. But I was so determined to get her on the podcast because she has such good information to share with all of us about donor cultivation. And I will just, before I actually bring her on, I also will share with you that she has all of the qualities and traits you are looking for from a really good development officer. She is smart. She is compassionate. She has empathy. She loves a challenge. She's good at talking to people. Literally, everything you could want in a fundraiser, she's that and more. Hey, Sam, 
Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. That was an amazing intro. I appreciate it. Um, Allison's going to be mad at you for selling me so well. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things I know is you're really dedicated to the Humane Society. But yeah, if someone reaches out to you and offers you a job and then you leave in two months, you're right. Allison's going to be really, really upset She's with gonna me. She's going to come for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say rightfully so, rightfully so. But I wanted to jump right in on, on donor cultivation because the hardest part of fundraising is often re-engaging that donor who was intentionally walked away. And I know that you have a really memorable story about doing that early on in your time at the Humane Society. Yeah, I do actually. And it's actually only happened a couple of times, surprisingly, but these guys were amazing. They came into the Humane Society in kind of a peculiar way, actually doing community service and then fell for the organization. They were dog walkers. And then, you know, I put in the little, the note to you that they became very generous. And by that, I mean, they're very well off and were generous to the animals and some, you know, some things happened. The relationship got rocky. As you know, I'm sure all your listeners know, when you have board members and other, you know, employees involved, sometimes it can get a little rocky. So they did walk away and some time went by. I kept cultivating the relationship, reaching back out, doing things I know they liked, which some of that is wine, actually. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I called them one day randomly and I took them out for drinks and Essentially, what happened was, is I I figured out the way that I knew that they like to be asked for money. So that's my biggest thing is finding that connection with the donor um, and asking them in the way that they want to be asked. So whatever is important to that person is so important in order to get that that gift and get that large gift. So um, this guy was kind of a mentor to me, the main the main one, and he I asked him for ten thousand dollars and they hadn't given in a year and he literally stopped me in my tracks and said i'm so proud of you right now for asking for that amount and the way you did and i just couldn't believe that a donor had said to me that they were proud and thankful that i'd asked them for that amount of money so you know i figured out the way to to tug at their heartstrings and a little bit of their ego i'm not gonna lie and and it worked and they were they were thankful that i was straightforward in doing so so And so how did you figure out the way in which they wanted to be asked? I honestly just got to know them. So whenever it got a little rocky with the organization itself, I continued talking to them outside of that, honestly. And I would say they became more friends and I would say family now, in my opinion. And, you know, people, I don't know why it's such so taboo to say this, but people do give to people. You know, we want them to give to the organization and that's wonderful. And hopefully they're giving because of the work we're doing, but they're going to make that connection with somebody at your organization and that's why they're going to give. And so that's what I did. I just got to know them. I got to know the things that they liked. I found out they liked Dogos, the the breed of dog, kind of weaseled my way in that way into their hearts. And they would not be upset for me to say that I stroked their ego a little bit, gave them a little plaque on a door for a year. And that was all she wrote. That's all they needed. And everybody wants different things. They might want recognition. They may not. Um, So you just have to figure that out. And so let's talk about that cultivation piece of both figuring it out and and providing it. Like, what are some of the biggest things that you found donors really want? Uh, It just depends on the person. So they want to see their money hard at work. Obviously, when it comes to animals, we have a, I wouldn't say easy because I hate that, but we can show donors money at work pretty easily when we show an animal who came in hurt and then they leave not hurt and they're happy now. So 
really learning to brag on ourselves was something that really kind of was a shifting point in our fundraising program and doing that often. And then, you know, getting donors in the door as well, whether it's a tour or to come be volunteers, you can't go wrong with that. And so these guys were volunteers and, you know, as soon as they came and did that, that was it because I got to see it every, you know, physically at work with the dogs and cats. So. So it sounds like for you, a part of that cultivation is that hands-on, like, okay, come see the place, put your hands on the place and help the place. Yep. If possible. And then sometimes they don't want to, a lot of people can't handle seeing, you know, animals in cages or whatever, what you're fundraising for is some people don't want to see it. So I've actually gone to homes before, uh, done little things like brought cookies, which during COVID was people just thought that was outrageous and wonderful. Writing thank you notes is literally my job. You can't go wrong there. Like you said, with our donor, first term donor series, it's just a postcard, three postcards that have cute animal photos and information on them and people love it. And so let's talk a little bit about that, that first time donor series. Was it there when you started at the Humane Society? It was not. Um, so Kevin is our, um, let me get this right. He just, I changed his, we changed his title recently, events and donor relations manager. So when he first came on, I think he's been here four years. We got together and redid our whole stewardship plan. I don't ever want to take credit for any of this. It's a total team effort. Um, so Kevin does a, most of our stewardship, but he and I came up with the mailer series together, the first time donor series and they're big postcards, which I think is important. Not just the little four by sixes. They're the ones that are going to stand out in the mail. The first one just says, thank you. There's nothing else on it. It's not trying to prompt them to do anything else. And then the second one is a next steps, what you can do. So volunteering, um, adopt, whatever the case is. Um, and then the third one is to try and get them to join our monthly giving club. So trying to, you know, transfer them over into a, a monthly donor is always, always the best case scenario because then you have sustainable income for the organization. And can we talk about the growth of your monthly donor club? Yeah, it's been a rocky road. I'm not going to lie. We've grown every single year with it. It's called the Lifesaver Circle. You know, people always want to come up with a cute name for it and it makes people feel included in something. They're a part of a family, essentially. But it's very difficult to get people to answer or we found it was at the beginning. So honestly, this first time donor series really helped do that because I think at first we were trying to jump the gun and get them to join right away instead of cultivating that relationship and just simply thanking them first and showing them maybe one story or a couple stories of how they one donation has already helped and kind of hook line and sinker them into the monthly donor program. So it has grown substantially and it continues to grow. And I attribute that to Kevin too. <laughs> and so as you're, as you're sending out that first time donor series and obviously you're you're starting to help educate people so that when you're ready to pitch them for becoming a monthly donor they're more likely to do people ever reach back out and give you feedback on the postcards they're getting I, honestly you were the like one of the first ones and i know it's because that's what you do for a living <laughs> um i don't think people i just went in and asked kevin because i wanted to know what his favorite thing we do and he said the for those postcard series but he's like no one's ever reached out and said anything i think it's odd no one's going to, like you did, going to call and be like, oh my God, that postcard was great. <laughs> but we know they liked it because of what they're doing next. You know, they're signing up to become a volunteer or they're coming to adopt or they're giving again. 
a lot of times we'll see before the series is even over, people give again uh, before we've even done that secondary ask. So no, not everyone's as nice as you are and calls us and tells us how great it is. (laughs) It's funny because in my head, I'm like, wow, you must have like 10 calls a week from people. Okay. (laughs) So Uh, I guess not. Maybe fundraisers, Uh, yes, but not just regular people. (laughs) And one of the other things you do that I was really impressed with is you also do an anniversary card. So like, it's like I got, I got a card on my, on the anniversary of my first gift. Yeah. So we actually, I found that at um, a conference. The name of the woman's escaping me, but she talked about it in um, one of her seminars that it was, you know, another organization did that and it just like blew her away because it was a year later and it was actually an adoption um, anniversary card, not just the donorversary. So we kind of took that idea. So now we do a happy gotcha day for an animal, but we also transformed it into our own little donorversary. And I think people forget about it. And then a year later, they get a reminder and they're like, oh, I really like that organization. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, part of what I really loved about it is we have all gotten the one-year resolicitation letter. Thank you so much. You've been a donor for a year. Will you please renew your support? But this was like such a gentle reminder. There was just a thank you, like no ask at all, which to me, like that that's cultivation. Yeah, that's really important. So we don't do like a yearly tax letter or anything like that at the end of the year. We do them per gift. We make sure that we send out emails, postcards, thank you notes that are just thank yous. Even our newsletter, it does have a soft ask, but you want to be careful with not, you know, having a thask every single time because then people are just going to think that it's an ask every time and not an actual thank you and probably throw it in the trash. Um, And we learned that the hard way too. So it's really hard just to send a just a thank you. And you want to, as a fundraiser, you want to write that little, but we could use more, but you shouldn't do that um, in certain cases. Right. And one of the things I'm kind of curious about, when you send that anniversary postcard and people get it, do you see a flurry of gifts come in? It just depends it, because they're, everybody's anniversary is different. So there's not a real way we can track it. And because we don't do like a QR code or anything on there, that's not our goal is to see if it, if it works like that. I think just our donors are coming back every single year and they're happy and they're continuing to give on a frequent basis. So no, not necessarily, but I think indirectly, yes. And we just kind of have to have faith in it and that is working. Yeah. And, and clearly something is working because your retention rate is really strong. Yeah. It is. So I know some of our friends who are listening are probably wondering, okay, Sam, you're doing these things to, that are mail and email. At what point does a donor rise to the level that it's not just the, okay, you know, we're going to send out the anniversary cards this month, but they, they get that personal touch. And what does that look like? Um, when we first started years ago, I think whenever I started our budget for fundraising was like, 700,000. And now it's like two, nearly 2 million, or it may have been less than that. So back then the level was much lower. I think that we were writing a thank you card for everyone who gave a hundred dollars or more, which quickly became impossible. My hand almost fell off. (laughs) Um, but so now it's, um, and we do different levels. So they'll hear from me at a certain level. Uh, I think if it's $500 and you can tell that I don't actually know which ones I'm getting because I have an awesome team that just hands me papers and says, sign this. Um, 
But then if it's $1,000 or over, it goes to our CEO. And then if it's a much larger major donor gift, we try and have a board member touch space with them as well. So they're they're building a relationship with the organization and hearing from different people every time they increase or simply give again so that it's not just all about me. Um, like I said earlier, you know, people give to people and that's great. And you want to cultivate that relationship with that person. But I think it's important to show all the hands of the organization, all the people that are involved. So we like to spread out the love and they hear from me, Allison, Kevin, board members. Um, I think that's really important. And these are handwritten cards? Yep. Um, I have I have them in front of me. We actually, I know not everyone can see this, but this is the Golden Girls and they're golden retrievers. We like to be funny too. The golden retrievers with, you know, the golden girls dresses. We literally just stuck golden retriever faces on that picture that everyone knows. And it says, thank you for being a friend. And then I write a little note about it, about them on there. Most of the people I actually know personally, uh, but in our system, we utilize all the contact reports and make little notes about people so that we can remember the name of their dog, stuff like that, which can really make that personal connection with them. And sometimes I remember it myself, but sometimes I have to look back at the notes. <laughs> and that's actually what I was going to ask you, because I know when I've sat down to write a stack of those cards as a development director or an executive director, sometimes I, I fall into the trap of, you know, okay, I found three sentences, I'm going to write it, and I just start writing it to everybody. How, how do you keep from falling into that trap? So I actually pick a, a phrase or a sentence, and I every single time I write a letter or a thank you note, I go into the system to that person's profile and we actually track what they've received previously. So I will know that they got a Golden Girls one last time. So I won't send them that card again. And I even go as crazily far as to like write that phrase that I had been using that month in the contact report so that I don't say it again. Um, not everyone does that. I've tried to like wow. you know, remember that into my team system. Please write which phrase you're using so we don't repeat it. But not everybody does it. And that's fine. But one of the coolest things I ever saw, I walked into a corporate donor's office and she had every single card taped around their front window and they were all different. And I'm like, yes, I didn't send her double one. Thank <laughs> God, because she saved them all. <laughs> um, but it was really meaningful to her and they are so simple to do. But I do pick one phrase and stick with it for a while. I'm really impressed. I mean, I know you have a development team, but you don't have a 20-person development team. So I'm really impressed that you can go in the system and say, okay, this is the card the person got, and this is what the, this is the phrase I used. Wow. We all do that. And so it's it, there's only three of us that write thank you notes, except for obviously volunteers and stuff. But yeah, we I think now the philanthropy team is six people, and it started out as me. So it's pretty exciting. If you start out that small and you grow to that, um, it's it's a big difference. So, and it's also going from seven from raising seven hundred thousand to what over two million. Yeah, our total budget now I think is over three, and that includes you know, the whole organization. But I I want to say the total was seven hundred back then. Yeah, and so just to run some numbers, if it's over three and you've got six people, that means on average each fundraiser is generating half a million dollars. One thing actually. Not to correct you, but my title now is Chief Philanthropy Officer. And oh, Allison I'm so sorry. Changed, it's okay. Allison and I changed that because of, I can't remember his name, the guy at San Diego Humane. He's amazing, by the way. His title is Chief Philanthropy Officer as well. Um, but what we've instilled in the whole organization is that everybody's on team philanthropy. Mm -hmm. So we have 30, 40 employees. 
And every single one of them has a role in philanthropy in some way. And that's something that we've worked hard to instill um, all the way down in the people cleaning kennels because what they're doing is just as important. And so I, I always like to share that because it's important to get your entire organization committed to that philanthropy because we can't do it by ourselves, one or two or three people. So let's dive in there because I, I hear you, but I'm also curious. Okay, so for the employee who's in you know, a tech that's cleaning kennels, A, what is their role in philanthropy and what support, training, coaching, support are you giving them? So well, we do a quarterly training for all staff as well as a, when new employees come into the organization, that's really where we've started this culture of philanthropy. We're all about culture, <laughs> um, which I know everybody is in the world now, but the culture of philanthropy is really, you know, a kennel tech can give us some information about a dog that we maybe didn't have before. Sorry, cats. I always leave you out. Um, but, you know, they might be able to come in and be like, hey, Sam, Rambo, he got a toy today thanks to that donor who brought it in or whatever the case is. And I can share that information with them. Um, and that's a very, very basic way that they, you know, contribute to the philanthropy. But essentially what we do, we couldn't do without the kennel tech. You know, they, they help clean the kennels and donors are the ones who provide that support to enable us to employ these people. So every single person contributes and we let them know how important it is when they share that information that really does help because it brings that connection with the animal, direct connection with the animals back to the donor, if possible. And so you're doing quarterly trainings. What do those trainings look like? Sometimes it's at whatever Allison and I can come up with. But most of the time, the full leadership team gets together weeks or months in advance. And we've actually just recently decided we may not do it as often but I think when you're starting out trying to build that new culture, it's important to do that as often as we did. And so it's things like the personality assessments so that we can learn how to talk to each other in an organization. And because when we're happy, everybody else is happy on the outside too. And it shows. So one thing I tell them is when a donor walks in the door, they could look like anybody on the street. They could be dressed however you know they want to be dressed and we had this one guy tell everybody he walked in and the way he was greeted by the front desk person changed everything for him. He said that he had only gotten an acquisition mailer from us and was curious. So he came to visit um, and the way that he was treated so kindly. So we were so helpful to him. Apparently he turned around and now he gives like a hundred dollars a month for many, many, many years. So he turned into a sustainable donor because he was just, someone was nice to him. So we always tell people, you know, even if you're having a bad day and you don't know who that person is, they could be a millionaire walking in the door, treat everybody the same um, because they're all important and can contribute to us staying open um, for the animals. So it's very important. And that is really powerful. I mean, just someone at a front desk helping somebody else feel welcomed has resulted in thousands and thousands of dollars. And that's the culture of philanthropy. That's how every single role can contribute to that. We were talking also about that high-touch cultivation. And so cards are part of it. The culture of philanthropy is part of it. What else are you doing around one-on-one um, -on -one donor cultivation with your higher-level donors? Yeah, so recently, I've, we've kind of, re like I said, the team's grown we've refocused me on major donors. So one of the biggest things we've implemented, and this is from Allison, she brought it from her other organization is the Benavon model. 
um, which I know you're familiar with. It's amazing. So we are we worked with our resource development committee, which is made up of mostly board members, to build this story tour, essentially. And if anybody has not read about Binavon, they should. The book, there's like four books on it, but we just started it this year. And essentially what it is, is building a tour that isn't just this boring thing like, this is where we do vaccines. This is where the dogs sleep. You know, Sam talking for an hour. It's a story about Lily, actually. Um, The final testimony is what they call it, is the story that's going to make everybody for sure cry. And it's the story I tell about her where she came from an animal control where we had just turned away a dog for heartworms and that dog was euthanized within minutes. And then like a week later we had space and I got my dog and she had heartworms as well. But because we had that space, we were able to take her. And whereas that other dog was not so lucky. So when you bring that really, sometimes they're super sad. Sometimes the stories are really, really happy, but the tour brings in every piece of our organization in a different way and it relates it to an animal or whatever, whatever you're fundraising for, whatever your organization's mission's about. But it's not just, here's the building, give us money. (laughs) It's really heartfelt and very well planned and months and months of preparation to get it perfectly. Tryouts essentially with board members to tell us what we did wrong. And every single person in the organization is, or not every single person, but every department plays a role in the tour. So it's not just me or Allison or um, Erica walking around giving a tour. It's um, our intake coordinator, somebody from our healthy pet clinic, every person who is a part of that philanthropy team, as I said, they're on the tour. And so the donor gets that connection with them as well. And that's been a huge part of cultivating major donors. So I love that. I'm going to switch gears real quick before we go to the off the map question, because it would be a mistake for me to stop at this point of the interview and not ask, frankly, not ask a question that could really benefit everybody who's listening, who's an executive director or a board member. And so if you're multitasking and you're an executive director or board member, stop what you're doing, because this one is really, really, really important. Sam, you've been at the Humane Society for seven years. In the intro, I mentioned that's over twice as long as the average tenure for a chief philanthropy officer, CDO, development director, anyone in fundraising. In addition to that, you've been incredibly successful. Revenue has gone from 700,000 to over 3 million. You've gone from a one-person department to a six-person department. And so what I really need you to share with me and the executive directors and the board members who are listening is, what is the secret to keeping a successful development officer? I think, first of all, for me, it was the organization. You know, there's only three people left that are, were here when I started out of 40. And I, we all we call ourselves the OGs. But somebody asked me the other day, you know, why'd you stay? And I, it was really those people, but also the organization itself. So an organization that's nearly 110 years old has lasted this long and done so much for the community and for animals in our community. That's the main reason I stayed. Um, The other reason is um, whenever I was allowed to actually begin having a relationship with board members about five years in, that really changed everything for me because we have a really awesome board. And 
super supportive. Um, our board president at the time has been, you know, a mentor to me and really, really involved in my day to day, not day to day, but my career here essentially. And so I think it's the people that keep you too. So the organization, but also, also you, when you have that support from a board member, if it's a boss, a coworker, and then also the volunteers and our donors, those, the guys I talked about earlier, I think I wrote to you that they actually have been with me through my whole fundraising lifetime. They were very supportive and came from a world of fundraising as well and, and really were there for me too and helped me and watched me grow. So I think it's really like the family that I've been able to be a part of and was created for me and around me. Yeah. So so it sounds like it's, I mean, it's the, the organization, obviously, but also like the community and the people around you. Helpful. Very helpful. Thank you. And now, without any more ado, it's time for the off the map question. And oh my gosh, you know, we ask all of our guests to fill out a survey, even, even if I know you pretty well, and I feel like I know you pretty well. And I learned something new about you. And so I learned, and I'm going to have to explain why I want to ask you about this. I learned that you're afraid of cats. <laughs> and part of how I was so baffled by this is you have taken me into the cat section of the Humane Society multiple times. And not once, not once did I ever think, oh, Sam's not comfortable here. Sam's afraid of these animals. Never, ever, ever. So A, it means I never want to play poker with you. But B, I, I have to ask, how do you do it? I think there's a difference in appreciating an animal from afar than actually needing to interact with them. <laughs> and first thing that comes to mind is fake it till you make it because you're, you know, I have to give tours and the animals are there. But I've always been a dog person. The reason I'm afraid of cats is we had, and this is actually funny, I think it really goes to show you the history and how things have changed in the United States with animals. But we had a cat that was uh, just showed up at our house and wasn't spayed or neutered wasn't neutered. Um, it was a, a male and he used to attack me every single time I came out of the garage. And now I know it's because he wasn't neutered mm -hmm. and all those hormones roaming around. And so I think that cats turn on you when you least expect it. So that's why I'm afraid of them, but also <laughs> I can appreciate them from afar. I don't have to be around them and I've come a long way. I'll, I'll actually pet one now, but if they turn on me, I'm over it. It's a, it, we're done for the day. So I'm actually afraid of birds too. So there's that. <laughs> and why birds? Because they also attack you randomly. I don't like to be out of control, I guess. And I feel like I have everywhere I go. I know, you know, I like to travel in Italy. This bird just dive bombed me randomly and I've never been the same since. So I'm not sure why they, they are out to get me cats and birds, but I feel like they are a little bit. Wow. So admittedly, I've had that experience with some primates where like I'll be somewhere in Asia and there'll be a hundred primates all just kind of hanging around and suddenly they just all rush past you and they and they they go around you, but it's still a little too close for comfort. And I'm like, oh, I don't like this. I actually have been gorilla trekking and I rather would rather have done that than be around a bunch of cats. <laughs> wow. That's it's not awesome. a rational fear. It's not rational at all. <laughs> Yeah, that, that is absolutely awesome. Well, Sam, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Um, I, of course, have to make sure that our listeners 
know how to find out more about your fundraising. And the best way to do that is to go to hsnega.org. That's Humane Society of Northeast Georgia, hsnega.org. And there's so many reasons you should go. First of all, you're going to get to see a lot of cute animals. And so that's a good reason. Second, if you're in the North Georgia area, or even if you're in the Atlanta area and you're looking for a new best friend forever, well, this is a really good place to find it. Third, though, I don't care where you are in the country. If you want to see a really great donor recognition program, make a $50 gift. Go to their website and make a $50 gift. And I will tell you, you will get some incredible materials. I'll also share with you, when I was a development director and an executive director, I used to have a personal budget of about $1,000 a year. And it would allow me to make $50 gifts to lots of different organizations. And to a great extent, because I just wanted to see, you know, how they said thank you and what they did. And in a lot of cases, I would intentionally not renew for 14 or 15 months because I'd want to see what would happen. And so it's a really good investment if you're a fundraiser to think about doing that. Last piece, they have an incredible event coming up. It's called Art with Heart, and it's coming up on March 18th. My husband and I went to it last year. It is so much fun. Once again, you get to bid on art. There's great food and there's puppies. There are puppies, and you're going to love the puppies. So if you're in North Georgia, consider that as well. Hey, Sam, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much. I'm going to have to run in there and tell Kevin to be on his game with our with our acknowledgement series now. We appreciate it, though. All right, friends. Let me just say, if this was a conversation that helped you think about how you're going to be acknowledging and cultivating donors, or maybe you're an executive director, it helped you think about how you're going to keep an amazing development officer. There's a couple more episodes you should consider. The first is episode 83, The Major Gifts Playbook with Doug Barker. He he does some deep dives into cultivation there, and it's definitely something you want to give a listen to. The next one is episode 174 with one of my favorite guests, Abra Annis. And her, in that episode, we talked about how to help donors fall in love with your organization because kind of like keeping a chief development or chief philanthropy officer, getting a donor to fall in love with your organization makes them a donor for life. And finally, please, if you're liking this podcast, rate and review it on your streaming app of choice. And that, my friends, is our show for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive.